Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Where, among other things, we'll find out about the offensive linesman. He throws it out to Swan. Blitz is on. A high lob. Look out. Franco Harris puts it through. Harris scores. Franco Harris. Hello and welcome back to Any Given Wednesday, episode XI. Love the sound of this, it's getting better. The higher we get up, the better the Roman numeral sound. Welcome. Yes, this is the podcast that still doesn't quite understand why everyone crowds around the ball and looks at it after a punt has gone to ground. We are the NFL podcast for British and Irish American f- and American fans, so fans of all shapes and sizes. Every week we look and celebrate a chapter from NFL history in a bid to improve our appreciation of the present game. And this week, oh, this week's a ding-dong. We are choosing one of the greatest dynasties the game has ever seen. The legendary, the peerless 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, yes, please. Mean Joe Green, the Steel Curtain, Chuck Noll, and, of course, the legendary Terry Bradshaw. And I'm joined by a man who, despite having made a massive impact when playing the game, is best known for the broadcasting career that followed. He's eccentric, larger than life, creating joy and controversy wherever he goes. A dodgy singer who's not afraid to belt out a tune and with an intimate knowledge of Burt Reynolds. Terry Bradshaw, no, it's Mr. Mike Bubbins. Hello, Tom. You've surpassed yourself. (laughs) Hello, world. Hello, football fans. How you doing, mate? That's a cracker, mate, that is. I want, I want to get all these on my tombstone. I just need a big tombstone. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do the eulogy. Don't worry. Yeah, it's, it's I'll pay for the granite. You do the words, yeah? <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, that's the way this podcast works. <laughs> uh, oh, good, mate. How are you? How's things? Yeah, great. Really good. I mean, I know uh, we're not topical, but we're reaching. We're, we're, we're in the heart of the postseason of the current season, so it's very exciting times. We're not topical. Yeah, no, I'll just not. say that about three and a half hours sleep in the last 48 hours. There that's what go. I will that, say. That's all yeah. you need to know. Do the uh, math. So they, yeah. Do the math, as they say in America, incorrectly. We're sharing a laptop in this house, my wife and I, and, uh, <laughs> and it, it was times, the weekend. Times are hard, are they? Yeah, <laughs> and she said, um, I've booked in a Zoom chat with my mates just to have a catch-up uh, Saturday at half six. So this is just told me this on Saturday morning. And in my head, I was thinking... That's that's the first playoff game, and uh, I couldn't. She was like, "But it's not your team, is it?" And I was like, "No." But at this stage of the season, like once you get into the playoffs, every game yeah, yeah. is like essential watching. So, so I watched all the games on Saturday, and then my wife said, uh, "The Packers playing tonight." I said, "No, no." I said, "There's three games tonight. There's three games tomorrow." 
So the next day she said, uh, you watching all the games again? I said, yeah, what, what, when are the Packers on? So they're not playing this weekend. <laughs> next weekend. She said, you're watching six games of, of a, and your team's not playing. And I said, yeah, that is correct. It's the playoffs. It's the playoffs, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for getting in touch, everyone. The socials have been really nice and busy. You've been particularly good at suggesting topics that you think we should cover. And the winner will, uh, will decide what we're going to do with episode XII, the season finale. Uh, the Pod Bowl of our series. I don't know. Oh, we'll I think like of that. Words. Yeah, That's the Pod Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> Super Pod. Yeah, Super Pod. Yeah, but thanks for getting in touch. We've had some lovely messages. Kevin Duffield at Duffers7 said, Season 2 has to happen. Awesome podcast. If you get a chance, check out Catholics versus Convicts. The story of the Notre Dame versus Uni of Miami rivalry mm. in the 80s. It's a 30 for 30. Great doc. Could be another app of any given wed pod. Yeah, that's a good one to Lovely check Lovely job. I'd like to do that. Good show, that. Good um, show. Simon Gardner got in touch and said, just started listening to the first episode of this. Now, this, this is... This is a message from when, we, at the start of the series, we were asking for reasons why you support the team that you support. And we're always interested to hear these. This is an absolute doozy, Mike. Listen to this. Just started listening to the first episode of this, and they mentioned how they picked their fave team. I picked the Washington football team because I was bought an Easter egg with a Washington mug in 1993. Good My brother reason. got the Bears and follows them for the same reason. Great. Absolutely great. An Easter egg. I love that. It's as random as you like. Yeah, perfect. Michael Gibbons got in touch and said, I've only just discovered this. If nostalgia about great NFL teams is something that brings you cheer, get wired in. Thank you, Mike. Oh, yes, we'll have a bit of that. Well, if we go back to uh, matching up people and listeners with the, with the, with teams, Tom. Part of the service, Mike, that you provide. Yeah, yeah, I like to think so. So I got a, a tweet from uh, a follower called Zoe at... Uh, Z. I'm going to say Z because it's American. Great. Z cost 302. Mike, my husband demanded I message demanded. My husband demanded I message you, Ray, your <laughs> new American football show, uh, Any Given Wednesday pod. Apparently, you will give him a team to follow. He wants something resembling the 1980s Neath rugby team. He's also a big wrestling fan, so in my opinion, he also wants some decent drama. It's easily the Raiders all day long. Black jerseys. They revel in being the bad boys. They've got old school attitude. Plus, Lyle Alzada, one of the greatest ever players, starred in a 1980s wrestling-based sitcom, and he fought Muhammad Ali in an exhibition fight. Okay, so there we go. I mean, that's there's a perfect match. There's a match made in heaven. You've absolutely smashed that there. That's that's it. If you are looking for a team to support, get in touch at any given Wed Pod. Uh, you can also get in touch on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We've got some lovely reviews here. Loving this podcast, says Scott O'Connor. I'm a Browns yes. fan. As when I was deciding what team to follow, they had just finished the 0-16 season and I didn't want to be accused of being a glory supporter. <laughs> Top man. Scott, this is great because this is what we've been talking about. Those people who experience the upswing now. That's, this is the absolute joy and beauty of the NFL, right? So he yeah. started supporting them. And that wasn't long ago, Tom, when they were 0-16. That wasn't that long ago. No, and now they are looking great, the Browns, you know? Yeah. so I think having followed the NFL for the last five years, I'm starting to see that shift for the first time yeah. and yeah. seeing teams that I just hadn't thought about as contenders suddenly become contenders and you realise, oh, this is the cycle yeah, of yeah. the game and it is great. And the flip of that as well, it's really strange to see the Patriots not being in the postseason. Well, you say strange, it is delightful. Um, yeah, strange <laughs> slash good. Unless you're a Patriots fan and listen to this, in which case we're only joking and if you're one of the other 31 teams, no, we're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tie 50E 
that's the name Ty 50 e said i'm very mm. much a part-time mnfl fan but love the docs like espn 30 for 30 etc these podcasts are similar young parry asking questions to the old wise bubbins is a lovely mm. touch I imagine oh. Tommy sat cross-legged on the floor, looking up <laughs> as Bubbins strides around the bar in full Packers kit, pads and all, running through the historic plays and reenacting every fumble and big hit. So, is, he, is there a spy camera in my bar? What's going on? I love that. Is he, is he on the Zooms? That is absolutely the right image. That's exactly That's it. On. That's that great. is what it is. You are joining us from Bubbins Bar, as always, Bubs. Have you got some merch to talk us through? I pride myself on being a wordsmith of some, some renown, right? So I was thinking, what can I pick that's a bit unusual today? So when I first built the bar, I made a sort of line of football players between the seat I used to use and the, where the TV used to be. <laughs> and this has expanded over the time. I, I used, um, there was a magazine called First Down Magazine. Uh, which used to be like a newspaper, weekly newspaper, and every every week would be a full-sized NFL uh, player poster in there, right? Right. And um, I found them all in Mum and Dad's house. I thought I'd, I thought I'd torn them away. So I've now papered nearly the entire ceiling in NFL uh, posters Amazing. of players from the 80s. And I was thinking, what can I give this a, a cool name? I was thinking to tell Tom about it. And, I, and as I glance up, right in the middle of, of the players, is the old uh, Packers quarterback, Randy Wright. Because right, like I said, this was 80s. So on there, for instance, I got Randy Wright, I got Bernie Kosar, I got Mark Duper, Al Toon, Jerry Rice, and then the big three at the front, John Elway, Joe Montana, Walter Payton. This, you know, the, it's, it's a who's who of anyone who was who in, in 80s NFL, right? Yeah. But I'm looking at Randy Wright thinking, he played number 16, right? Yeah. It, it's basically the ceiling of the 16 chapel. <laughs> it's a work of art it's, it's Michelangelo-esque it's just 80s NFL all over my ceiling so when you come to the bar you'll see Tom so 16 chapel g- give me a number and I'll tell you who that player is and I'll, I'll, I'll count him in squares go on well who's 31 um, you have picked um, you've picked Wes Chandler of the San Diego Chargers <laughs> There we go. There's got to be some kind of blockbuster star game show in this. We'll have to, we'll figure it out. But there's got to be <laughs> which way across the bar, yeah, or, that'd be or like great, a, wouldn't it? Or like a battleships. <laughs> yeah. Some great players on it. Steve Young, Steve Young's on there in the old school, beautiful Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. Oh, great! A good looking man in a good looking yeah. uniform. Hang on, correct. Both both counts. Let's get into today's subject because it is a big one. Quite a few people requested this when we asked for suggestions of what we should cover. And we knew we were going to cover it at some point because, you know, we're ticking off the big dynasties. We are looking at the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers. We're from the town with the great football team. We cheer the Pittsburgh Steelers. Chuck Mall and all his friends are all on the beam. Go out and get them Steelers. Bradshaw and Rocky and Franco and Lynn. We love you, Pittsburgh Steelers. It's been many years and coming. Just keep the Steeler machinery humming. I cannot begin to tell you how much I enjoyed watching this team. Uh, 
that you know if you want to check out the documentaries we're going to be talking about as always it's uh, America's game you know takes you through the four Super Bowl seasons and there's a cracking this football life as well on the quarterback uh, Terry Bradshaw um, oh you will enjoy yourselves listeners honestly a great team in a great era of the game well do you know what um, the thing about not living over there so you, you pick a team by we joke about these sort of arbitrary ways you, you end up with your team so I end up with the Packers because watching my first game was a Packers against Washington game and dad picked the Washington right so um, if I if I'd have been born in the States it's one of those places if I'd been born over there I would like to have been born either in sort of Oakland or Pittsburgh because I was born in 1972. I, I just yeah. think the 70s Raiders yeah. under John Madden, which we, we we may well talk about in our final part of the season, but even just pipping them, and I love the, the Raiders' attitude, just pipping them. Imagine being a Pittsburgh native in the 1970s watching football yeah. when you won four Super Bowls in six years. You had the World Series baseball champions as well. It was just, and there's no basketball team. There's no, they've only got hockey. The Penguins are a good side. They got hockey, football, and baseball. Yeah, when, when the, the dec- st- when the decade finishes, the Pirates and the Steelers are together in the White House, oh, meeting man. the president as champions. And that is there's a photo. Amazing. There's a photograph. <laughs> there's a photograph in the America's game for the '79 uh, Super Bowl, the last one they won uh, in that era, and it's Bradshaw and one of the boys from the Pirates, and I should know who it is. I can't remember, but they've got hard hats on. Just surrounded by all these steel workers in hard hats in a steel factory. I thought that is right up my. You know, I'm I'm working class background. My my granddad was a coal miner. My other granddad was a doctor. My dad, you know, my, my dad was working class. My mother was a school teacher. I just think that's me. That's blue collar. No, that's rock'em sock'em football. Absolutely, that's a team right. built on the defense as well. <laughs> Ground oh. and pound in the what cold. You've got to go to Pittsburgh. I mean. Yeah, let, let, let's try and work through it uh, a piece at a time of the machine yeah. uh, that was the Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s. They won yeah. Super Bowls in 74, 75 and 78 and 79. The only team to have won four Super Bowls in six years. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't think I'm going to go out on a limb, but in my mind, the, a true sense of the word dynasty and perhaps the greatest dynasty in the game because essentially it's the same team and whereas when we looked at the yeah. patriots there you know obviously there's brady and belichick but like the team around them changed completely but this team well, and yeah. san francisco similarly i think changed over the course of their dynasty but at its core you know you're dealing with terry bradshaw at quarterback the steel curtain the, you know the famous pittsburgh steelers defense chuck knoll as the coach and yeah. and you know the guys there went through and won four Super Bowl rings together. There's, there was an amazing uh, thing said in the 79 season. The 1979 season is the last time a team, everyone playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, they hadn't played for any other team. It's an incredible statistic. A completely homegrown team of only Pittsburgh Steelers players drafted all to built. play for the Steelers. Yeah, a- Absolutely all. incredible. It, <laughs> well, it's just another reason to love them, isn't it? I mean, the, the genius of... I won't go bang on about the Patriots and the Steelers thing. The the genius there is that is that they've basically been two dynasties with the same quarterback and coach. Whereas, like you're dead right, this this team from '74 is almost exactly the same team that played 
in 79. You know, that, but they bring players into it. We, we became starters. So, you you know, you bring in your, um, your banner sacks and people like that towards the end of it. But, I mean, it's one of those, just from, and we had such a paucity of, of literature and stuff in, in the 80s when I started watching football. But even, and and the, and the Steelers had gone by then, you know, they, they, by the eighties, they 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 were up, they were out of it. But I can remember all those names. They were such an iconic team. The one I started watching football. So, without looking at Google or a bit of paper, but I could tell you this: so you got Bradshaw, you got Franco Harris, you got Rocky Blyer, you got John Stallworth, you got Lynn Swan. Uh, then you got Mel Blunt, and, and you got Jack Lambert, and you got Jack, and you got Ham, and you got uh, Bannersack, and then you got Mean Joe Green, you got Ernie Holmes, you got Elsie Greenwood, Dwight White, just these play. But I can I can see them now, like I can I can rattle all those names off now. They were just I think maybe the first football I ever saw, I'd have to check the dates, producer Simon would know this, was a Coke or a Pepsi advert in the sort of seventies or early eighties with Joe Green gives his Coke to a little kid. I'm, I can see it now. And I remember thinking, God, that's as a kid watching that, God, that's glamorous. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, those eighty shoulder pads on, the massive shoulder pads. Yeah. I thought I'd love to be that kid, can't I? kind of coke off him <laughs> advertising works folks <laughs> mr green yeah you, you need any help I, I just want you to know i think i think you're the best ever yeah sure want my coke it's okay you can have it no no really you can have it Okay. And my sister went to university, uh, met a fella from Pittsburgh. Uh, they lived in London for a bit. Then they moved over to New York with work. But then they moved back to Pittsburgh. So she's been back in Pittsburgh probably five years now. So I went there maybe two Thanksgivings ago. Like I mentioned, I'd be, they'd be in there for a game of being freezing cold. But what a great city, man. Yeah. I mean, Pittsburgh's a great... If you love football and sport and you want to go to America, go to Pittsburgh. <laughs> honestly because they are football crazy yeah, there's tell. great food they love a beer there's a lot of like it's a big immigrant place because of the steelworks a lot you get a lot of you got a lot of polish people there's a there really was a big welsh community back in the day but i mean there's a real melting pot of people there that just come together through sport and having a beer and eating hot dogs they um yeah and, and a diverse team as well the first ever uh all black kind of defensive line you know made the made the cover of time magazine the first black quarterback starter in yeah, the Gilliam, yeah. season gilliam you know they had um who was the guy who they called the rabbi who was he thought he was like perhaps the only jewish uh player in, in the league at the <laughs> time terrible. you know franco harris was italian it was like it was it was a well sort of yeah, yeah sort of yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> i love that i love that because because all the fans there would, would then pick their player you know so it wasn't just like everyone had a player so even like banasak um, banasak was i mean he's a very good player but he was never all pro or anything but he had a huge contingent of fans that loved him so they'd have their banners. You know, Elsie Greenwood's fans have their banners. 
Franco's Italian army would have their banners, you know? Yeah. The Steel Curtain have their banners. You think, oh, God, what a time to be alive then. Amazing. So Chuck Noll is the coach. And, uh, a, yeah. you know, a really interesting uh, character because, you know, he's kind of in that mould. I mean, uh, it, it reminds me of Belichick is the person who I would go to, where mm. an inscrutable coach... Not yeah. a very popular coach from a personality point of view. The players don't really have a lot of good things to say about him in terms of their interactions with him. And yet, no. so successful as a coach. Joe Green nails it when he says that he's got so much respect for him because he just wanted a win. And he, he, was, and he, and he made them, you know, arguably the best ever d- decade team was that 70s Pittsburgh Steelers. Um and he sees it that way. It's weird. I watched, we talked about the football life, the Terry Bradshaw football life, which I cannot recommend enough. I mean, talk about, I, there's a fella that personality-wise, I see so much of myself in him. It's right. ridiculous, right? That's it, I was going to say. That was, I, I, like when I was Well, just needy. I, I just, like, you know what hello. I mean? Hello, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. They I, had I a, can't, I don't, I don't like any sort, if you want to get any out of me, then just blow smoke out of my ass and tell me I'm brilliant, right? Because if, if you, if you have a go at me, I will just, I will just lose it, which is what he did. Basically, you know, he said, I needed someone to put an arm around me and tell me how great I was doing, not to bore me out like Chuck Noll used to do. But I would say, yeah, you're saying that, Terry, but you've won four Super Bowls and you were the quarterback. So obviously, even though you didn't like it and even though I wouldn't have liked it, it's what he had to do to make you win and you did win all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think I think Bradshaw can see that now that he, and he couldn't see it then. Yeah, I think after forty years of hindsight, because he he didn't go back to Pittsburgh for years and years and years. There there was a real like uh, far away look in his eye when he kind of said, "I you know I was a Southern boy. I loved fun. I was full of joy." And Chuck Knoll showed me that life isn't like that. <laughs> like and like yeah. it, it's kind of quite brutal, really. And Chuck Knoll like psychologically broke down Terry Bradshaw, who was this you know. Larger than life, fun-loving Good character, number yeah. one draft, sunshine guy. Here we go, and he broke him down, and, and actually nearly ruined his career, really. And 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 then this incredible kind of from a nadir, where when you first meet Terry Bradshaw in the '74 kind of docs, he looks like a guy on on the verge of a breakdown, doesn't he? He looks, yeah. he looks kind of out of sync. I tell you what's so good about the modern day compared to what it was like then is is there's a real appreciation of mental health, and that and that was completely non-existent and certainly in the NFL where you had to be tough and you had to just get on with it right and there were times there someone when Bradshaw would go and sit on his own and he wouldn't talk and he and he and he, and he talks now about the fact that yeah I was I was having mental health issues yeah but that was never a thing then you know people would say you're a quarterback in the NFL how can you be depressed there's nothing to be depressed about snap out of it but that's obviously not how depression works so when you look at it through the filter now that he was probably suffering with depression throughout his career yeah you know it brings that into sharp focus absolutely and and, and you know it, it, it's an incredible human story the terry brad story one that i wasn't aware of i mean obviously i know terry bradshaw from the nfl halftime show you know this larger than life yeah, character it, it was amazing getting to see him as a player and look at that human story that he went through because like the adversity that he's up against and 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 you're right you know like he never he never could go back to pittsburgh until quite recently really because his experience yeah. there was very jaded and even when he was winning Super Bowls and and like the most one you know at the time the most winning quarterback in the history of the game delivered four Super Bowls in six seasons and yet I think it's after the 78 win 
He's still talking about the times that they booed him because for the first yeah. four years of his career, the Pittsburgh Steelers fans were on his back. Chuck Noll was mm. breaking him down, telling him he was no good week in, week out. And he, you know, he was in bits and it it, it really shows, I mean, how psych- psychologically tough the role of the quarterback is, you know. And you look now, there, there are, you know, there are modern quarterbacks and you can see exactly the same thing. These guys who were drafted really early on, who are, you know, young, you're the next big thing kind of thing. And then you see them go to pieces over two or three seasons and never recover. And it is an absolutely brutal sport in that sense. People who watch the NFL now will know Bradshaw from, you know, the, the commentary stuff that he does, the studio stuff. And he's this 70-year-old bloke with a bald head who, you know. It's easy to forget that in 1968 or whenever he was drafted, you know, he was a kid. He was a 21-year-old kid. You know, whose life had been football and throwing a ball around and being a, being a slinger. You look at NFL footballers in the seventies because yeah, they had the the weird hairdos and the big sight. They all looked old than they were, but Brad, Bradshaw wasn't. A, yeah, Bradshaw never looks young, does he? because no, like, he, he had a comb over like twenty three, didn't he? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he retired. He was thirty five when he retired. He looks he looks fifty when he retires. Oh, do you know what, mate? Chuck Noll was thirty seven when he started coaching. That's mad. Thirty seven <laughs> years old. I'll tell you what else I like about Bradshaw is, you know, he is, uh, he's one of those personalities where there's a lot going on outside of football, you know, and for a guy who, yeah. you know, he, he plays the buffoon, but actually he's a really smart guy. And even when he was quarterbacking for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he was making films with Burt Reynolds. He was singing country oh, and Western song. I, I mean, he was living your dream, Mike, really, wasn't oh, he? But, you're not kidding, mate. You know, okay. I mean, yeah, because he's in a couple of Burt Reynolds films and he's, he's played, he's, he's had, He's had several country albums. He's, he's, he's sang at the Grand Ole Opry. You're like, mate, wind it in. Will you? Super Bowl winning, country singing, <laughs> Burt Reynolds loving. I thought, oh, shut up. And then they show his house now. And uh, like, I love horses. You wouldn't think that I do, right? But I've, I've, I've ridden a few times. I'd love to have a, a bit of land and a horse. That'd be a nice way to spend the time. They've got a Bradshaw's house in his football life. <laughs> what it's a gaff. A, a ranch. He's got it's a ranch. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah. So that's his that's his job these days, you know, breeding amazing horses and and just oh, yeah, just love him. He's such an honest bloke. Yeah, and I, I tell you what else is worth uh, talking about. I think is when I thought of the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, I'd heard of the Steel Curtain, of course, and obviously yeah. I was thinking about kind of Rockham and Sockham, ground and pound football, and certainly that's how the Pittsburgh Steelers start seventy four, seventy five. By the time you get to 78, 79, like in 74, they're almost described as a team without a quarterback and they, they managed to get to the postseason yeah, so despite the fact that they're having problems at quarterback. Mm-hmm. By 78, 79, rules had come into effect to change the game. Some say because of how the Steelers were dominating the game in such a physical way. Rules yeah. had been brought in to make the game less physical. And... Bradshaw shines and and actually the 78 and 79 Super Bowl wins it's a lot to do with the wide receivers and Bradshaw the arm on the guy is absolutely Mm. incredible and I know people think of him as this buffoon and this character and there's quite a famous clip of him fumbling the ball out the back of his hand that they like to use a lot to make him look like this kind of almost cartoon quarterback but you know the guy can throw the ball wasn't he a county or a state Javelin champion as well. Yeah, I think yeah, as a young man. It. Yeah, 
And they're saying like he could throw the ball so hard that it would split the hands of the wide receivers. You know, their their skin would burst sometimes because he threw the ball so hard. At them. Well, he's one of the quarterbacks. Brett Favre's the other one. The players talk about they can hear the ball. I love that. When you're in practice, you can hear it. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? And there's a bit they talk about when uh, in one of those Super Bowls, uh, Bradshaw rifles this ball into the end zone from probably 15, 15 yards away, 20 yards away. And it hits the receiver in the chest plate of his pad as he catches it. And Joe Green said it sounded like a gun going off. There was just like this crack. But he caught it. But he said, but he had to throw the ball, like, as they say in America, on a wire, like on a, on a rope. It was so flat and so hard. Yeah. But I think with, when he improves towards the end of the 80s, a lot of that is confidence, mate. Especially if you, if you, if you struggle with mental health issues all your life and, yeah. you, and you feel like you're not the number one. You've won two Super Bowls. You, you've, you're in the Pro Bowl. You know, you're playing differently. You're playing like you deserve to be there. You know when you do when you do comedy, and, and for the first four or five years, you don't want to tell anyone that you do comedy or that you're a comedian. It sounds yeah. weird to say it as a job. And I used to sit in the green room before a gig, thinking, I don't really belong here. You know, these people are comedians. Yeah, I'm just a bloke who does yeah, a bit you of don't comedy. Feel like you are a comedian, do you? For the first and there's a time when you think, oh, actually, no, fuck you. I'm, I'm a comedian. This is what I do. And and it changes the way that you do it. You just become a better comedian. Yeah. And I think with the quarterback. Such a hard, especially you've got a coach like Noll who's, who's on your back all the time. When you finally blossom and you get a bit of success, well, a lot of success, you just become the, you achieve your potential. So, yeah, he is like two players. He, he's like, he's like pre, after the first Super Bowl season, he's a different player, Bradshaw. The other thing I just want to like finish up with on Bradshaw is something that absolutely astounded me that I found out halfway through the documentaries. Is Bradshaw's calling his own plays out there? He's mm. he's essentially running the offense, which is absolutely staggering. And, and obviously, it shows what a great footballing brain he had because he's he's out there. He's making the calls. When you go to Pittsburgh Airport, I think I mentioned this before. When you get in there, it's it's all Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, um, but there's that statue of the immaculate reception, the Franco Harris catch is in is in the airport. You know, I think a lot of really good teams, like we look at. The, I hate to mention the Patriots again. Very, I'll mention it very briefly. When they came in and they didn't announce the players individually, they just came in, the New England Patriots. Yeah. That was a turning point. But I think the Steelers back in that, maybe because Bradshaw wasn't on fire from the start, they had to do everything. You know, There were, t- there were times when those, those defences would win games. I mean, Bradshaw wouldn't throw a single touchdown pass a lot of games and might get intercepted three or four times. But they'd still win because that defence was insane. I mean, they, they, was, they were high score in defence, a lot of turnovers. The one season when they got success, it might have been 78 or 79, they had some like 58 turnovers on offence. Yeah. And still and still won the Super yeah, Bowl. Well, that's, that's unheard of. Yeah. That never happens. I was watching with my boy this morning saying, Ben, because he, he started watching a bit of football with me now. I said, watch where their helmets go on all these tackles back in the day. And we were watching uh, Greenwood and Green and Banasak and these people. Every time they hit a quarterback or a running back, it was proper, top of the helmet, <laughs> under the face cage, bang. Yeah. Absolutely. There's that one when it was Roger Storbach's last game against the Steelers against the Cowboys there. And he is out cold. Yeah. And Elsie Green was talking about <laughs> I love Elsie Green, but he's passed away now, God rest his soul, right? He hit him with this shot. And he was he was out straight away, Storbach. And he said, as he's coming across, you could see Roger Storbach sort of starting to take off with the ball. And he'd beaten the first tackle. He says, I'm thinking to myself, Go down, Roger. Go down, right? 
<laughs> and he says, I didn't try to hurt people. He says, but it's football. He says, you know, if your he said, if your mama was on the other team, then uh, mama's going to get hurt. Some of that. He says, yeah. that. I thought, if on. it was my own mom. He says, if it, if I it, said, there's a bloke says, who'd smash his own mother. I love you. If it was my own mother and she was suiting up <laughs> on the other team, she's playing the game. She knows what it involves. For four decades, the Iron City's ire had been building. So when the Oakland Raiders rode in for Pittsburgh's first playoff game ever, even football's most feared team had to wonder what exactly it had wandered into. Well, let's move on to the steel curtain because absolute dynamite and this kind of like Hollywood defense. And I think here we have found the ultimate kind of defense in football. Just incredible. And and I must admit, in Elsie Greenwood, I think he's my favorite player we've found in the, you know. From I just the, said that to my boy. I, I think he's the one, you know, like I, I was, I watched it. I was like, I want, I want a Greenwood jersey. Yeah, yeah. What a player. I didn't know enough about him, really, to my to my uh, shame, right? So I was watching those America's games, which I've seen before, but I re-watched them. And I said to my, I said to my son today, I said, I think he's becoming my, one of my, one of my favorite players. Yeah. There was that bit where yeah. he plays great. He talks great. Um, he dresses but that great. Bit where, in the seven, well, I was going to get to that. I love the 70s. I love that look, right? There's one montage of that America's game. What a sharp-dressed dude Elsie Greenwood was. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah. Absolutely Just amazing. amazing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's not in the Hall of Fame. No, I think he was... Uh, what? Oh, no, straight up, yeah. And, he, and he, he, he's been nominated a couple of times and didn't get in. He's in the Steelers Hall of Fame. But I thought, what, what else has he got to do? How could he be a dominant player on that line, in that team, in that decade? And not be in the Hall of Fame. That I doesn't mean, make any sense at all. Go and find the highlight. There's the highlight reels online of Elsie Greenwood's tackles and hits. It is absolutely incredible <laughs> viewing. It really is. What oh, a player! Um, and if and if he misses you, you got Joe Green coming up. The other yeah, end. I mean that's it. There's there's a really funny detail which is um, Greenwood said. Obviously, Mean Joe Green was kind of like the headline name of the Steel Curtain, and everyone knew Joe Green. He was kind of the celebrity of the Steel Curtain. And he said Greenwood would be out in the middle. He'd make the tackle. And over the tabloid, oh, he'd hear the announcer say, and on the tackle there, it was Joe Green. And he'd think, it wasn't Joe Green. It was me, right? So he started wearing... He started I wearing, love this. He had to start wearing high-top boots because of a, a, an injury. So the, he, he said, make them yellow so that they're distinctive, like gold boots. So that now, every time, and you can see it in the footage, every time know, he makes amazing. a tackle, he rolls over and sticks his feet in the air. So you can it's like see, watching the dying fly. See that it's gold shoes. <laughs> Two gold so, boots in the air. So that it's not Joe <laughs> Green. Really, really lovely detail. So, wow, man. Yeah, and, and like, what a defensive line. Like, you look at the steel curtain. So, you've got Elsie Greenwood. Then you have mean Joe Green, who is, an inc- I mean, again, an incredible character and an incredible What a handsome player. man still as well. What I mean, like all the way through. Oh, like All know. those 70s clips look like, they all look like Shaft, yeah, all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Big um, sideburns, big afros, look, look amazing. Yeah, an incredible kind of winning mentality. And, and, you know, Super Bowl nine when they won their first Super Bowl, a lot of it is to do with kind of the new attitude that Joe Green brought to the dressing room. You know, he was temperamental, he was angry. He wanted to win. He packed up his locker and threatened to leave because they I've weren't never heard good that enough. Before. Uh, you know, like he, he, he had this kind of incredible appetite uh, to win. 
he's he's an incredible player to listen to speak as well. He he said one of I, I absolute goosebumps listening to talk about. You talked about John Madden's Raiders, and they were very much you know obviously any great dynasty that we've been yeah. looking at comes up against another team, and you kind of realise the these are the teams of that era, and there there were really two yeah. other teams of that era. It felt like there was John Madden's Raiders. And then yeah. there was the Cowboys, that, you know, like that. That yeah. was kind of the kind of matchups, the big matchups of that time. And in the first big AFC Championship game against the Raiders, that was kind of the big matchup. Yeah. Joe Green, oh, he, he says that was the perfect game. He said like that's the game where we were. Oh perfect. man, yeah. That's where that's where the Steelers happened. He said, he says I played thirteen years, and I was in the zone one time. And he says people no. talk about being in the zone. He says. People trivialise being in the zone. You don't live in the zone. You get to visit mm. it once or twice in oh, your life. Mate, what and he said, know. that is the one time. I was in the zone one time. This is a man. Look at his career. Hall of Famer. Incredible. Pro All Bowl pro, year pro. on year on year. Yeah. He said, I was in the zone one time. And it was that game. You don't get to live in the zone. You get to visit it once. Oh, How good God. is that? It, oh, it I know, I know. Genuinely sensational it was. stuff. <laughs> and like just an incredible listening to an elite sport his thing. voice as well mate. I, I mean, can listen to him sp- speak all day long absolutely listening to an elite athlete talk so articulately and poetically about uh, the experience of being at the best best form of your life oh it, it was really special really really special moment and then he still had Dwight White mad dog Dwight White great player <laughs> and then Ernie Holmes I mean Great player. It's like the size of a tractor. And it's like, it's just, (laughs) you look at those four guys walking next to each other and on the cover of Time magazine together. It's just like. If your line does get a bit of dominance and you get through that, you then got Jack Lambert and Ham running at you. (laughs) It's just extraordinary. With Mel Blunt running in. And Mel Blunt, and we should talk about Mel Blunt, a guy who played the game so tough. They had to bring in a rule that got called the Mel Blunt rule to yeah. stop him to stop him from roughing up receivers so badly. And like, it's really interesting. Obviously, I feel like with soccer, obviously, because I grew up playing football and watching football. So now I can be that kind of old man who says, "God, the game isn't what it's u- what it used to be, and you can't tackle anymore. It's becoming non-contact." But <laughs> these guys are the Steelers in their interviews. They're all hinting that nowadays you watch football and it's like, oh God, it's it's such an unphysical game these days. You can't do anything. The difference between the game they played and the modern game, it, it is different, isn't it? It's and the, so different. The, the, the biggest difference really is the quarterback. So I think owners and the league realise that, listen, this is such a hard position to play. There's so few good quarterbacks around. We need to protect quarterbacks. If you were playing in the... I was watching... They showed Dan Pastorini a few times. He was the, the Oilers quarterback. Good-looking bloke, Dan Pastorini. And he's always good for a quote. He's in um, he's in the Crunch Time video, which I love talking about Dick Butkus, right? And he, he, he waxes lyrical about him. But, I mean, you imagine being a quarterback in the 70s. You imagine playing against the Raiders and, and the Steelers in the 70s. Yeah. And you're a quarterback. I mean, you're going to get hit all the time. There's no sliding. There's no giving yourself up. The, the grounding rules were much tougher. There was none of this no below the knees, no above the shoulders, none of that stuff, none of that. You can't drive them into the floor. They got... How they had careers that lasted more than a couple of seasons, I, I just don't know. Yeah. When you watch someone like Bradshaw who played for sort of 13, 14 years in 70s football, bloody hell. 
because it was weird. The 70s was like players were starting to get modern-sized. Yeah. Right? You look at the 60s, and they yeah. were tough, but they but they were 60s size. So, you you know, Jack Lambert's unusually small by the by the 70s because he's he's only six foot four <laughs> but he's only 16 stone he's not like you know 19 stone yeah yeah yeah. so you you had you had modern sized players playing 70s style rules it was the old school rules but with, with like new sized people i'm thinking my god what a what a terrifying time to play quarterback in the National Football League. Yeah, because like some of the footage of Mal Blunt, when they're talking about bringing in the Mal Blunt rule, who it's really lovely to see him, his eyes glimmer with pride that, that, that it's called, like that it became called the Mal Blunt rule because he was like, it's a good thing to be able to tell your grandkids that you were so tough a player that they had to bring in a rule to stop you from well, doing what you were doing. Well, there's no other five-yard contact rule. So if you're playing cornerback, and if you're a receiver and I'm cornerback, I can make contact in five yards, yeah. but then I've got to let you go. Right, but in the old days they played what they call a bump and run. They would just beat you up all the way down the field, the whole way down the line. <laughs> so when you see what like Lynn Swan and John Stallworth did, and a lot of those great seventies receivers, you know what they did under those rules for receivers as well was your quarterbacks are getting battered, your receivers are getting battered, and you're still putting together, you know, those sort of seasons and. and those plays I mean that, that, I love that, it yeah that, and that's what's incredible is the Steelers were saying that they were beating people up so badly that they changed the rules to make it slightly easier for the wide receivers and as soon as those rule changes came in the Steelers had Stolworth yeah. and Swan two of Lynn the best Swan wide says, receivers playing the game at the moment and they just were in their element you know and uh, and that's when Bradshaw could really open up the passing game and they became a different kind of threat all over again. And, you know, won two, two more Super Bowls back-to-back. Incredible. Stolworth and Swan, a, a good story as well. A, a, again, a pair of wide receivers who were kind of jostling for the limelight and kind of had to try and find a way to kind of share the attentions of the quarterback. You know, that, it's that kind of healthy, com- competitive kind of... Uh, thing that drives every great franchise and it was really good to see Terry Bradshaw say like as a quarterback he'd toy with them some days he wouldn't even talk to one of them he'd go and hang out with the other one or buy him a drink (laughs) just so that the other one would then step up and try harder in practice and then you know he wouldn't throw to that player and then he'd know that it would motivate the other one really interesting dynamics that go on in American football well Stolworth talks about the one game they won where he didn't get any passes and he said, I said to Chuck Nolan after, he said, listen, Chuck, you know, um, I didn't get any passes today. He said, well, would you rather us pass to you or would you rather us win football games? He says, well, I think we can do both. <laughs> you know, you know? It's great. <laughs> it is, it, it, it's, it's one of the fascinating things about this sport, which is that it is such a team game and you have to click so much as a machine. And yet there are fiercely independent individuals in the dressing room with their own individual targets you know that you know they, they want to hit so many catches. They want their bonuses. They want to be seen as that player. It's, it is a really fascinating kind of dichotomy, really, of like individual and team. You've also always got two teams within a team. You've got your offense and your defense. You know, so because when the offense are on the field, your defense aren't on there. It's very rare that you can you can rattle off four or five, like forty years after rattle off four or five or six offensive stars and four, five, or six defensive stars. But they're like so they, yeah. Yeah, it was just a really, a br- and whatever Chuck Noll might or might not have been, he was a supreme tactician and a brilliant head coach. I mean, there's a couple of just to revisit Chuck Noll, a couple of incredible stories of 
can't remember which player it is saying he was on the sideline cheering, you know, cheering the team on and being like, let's go, let's go, here we go. And Chuck turned to him and said, we don't do that here. And, you know, <laughs> one of his things was, if I need to give you a motivational speech, then you're I'm not doing fire your you, job. Yeah, I'll never give oh, you back. So I'll fire you. If I have to motivate you, I'll fire you. <laughs> That's absolutely <Yeah>. sensational <laughs> stuff, you know? I mean, and obviously, you know, it's just fascinating to hear like players like Bradshaw saying that didn't work for me and yet it did work for him you know like it's like it did like, it patently did yeah, work for you absolutely that's right and the, the kind of players can count on one hand the kind of positive things that Chuck Noll kind of said to them and the amount of times where in the immediate aftermath of the Super Bowl his interview he says we can be better you know, mm. I, you know, we 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 can improve. We'll do it next year, which you know is a recurring theme in quite a lot of you know the great coaches that we've looked at. There's, there's bits in there when Joe Green said there would be times when we just knew we could beat anybody. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. just knew we we just gonna we're just gonna beat you. That's and there were the times when he he would tell they would tell people the, the play they were gonna strip the ball. I'm taking the ball this play. Okay, <laughs> off you go. Yeah, like also the the emotional stuff doesn't win ball games. And you know, it's something that I don't like. To and believe. I'm a sucker for. Yeah, and I was going to yeah. say, like, you and I are very similar in that regard. We we yeah. we want that half-time oh, emotional speech, <laughs> the hand on the shoulder, I believe in you kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Noll, you know, you do it in practice, then you do it in the game, and it's that simple. You work. Well, make the the Belichick analogy is bang on that you yeah, said right at the job. top. Yeah, just do your job. Do your job. Belichick. They said when they when they approach. won the third one, Dallas had won three at that point as well, and Noll said, "Well, we." Straight away, like the same day, we, we want to win next season now as well. We've, we've got to, we, we can be better than this. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Rocky Bly. I said, none of the Super Bowl wins felt like a conclusion. And that, to oh, me, was quote. the key to greatness. Because, yes. honestly, you think about like the that. scale of winning the Super Bowl, and the Americans do it so well, and they make you realise, you know, it's kind of the trap that, you think about like the 85 Bears, whatever it is, you kind of go... They think this is wow. That was it. We did it. It happened. You know, we're gonna we're gonna live on this for years to come. But the truly great teams say, okay, we did what we had to do, but we'll be in practice again next week because we've got to do it again. And it's like actually, and like you know, they talk about like not really celebrating the Super Bowls. You know, just getting on with the job because they did mm. it and they need to do it again. Brother Steelers players says there's there's two sorts of teams you never remember. When it comes to Super Bowl, he said, "The team that lost, and the team that only won one." It's really good. It's really. I thought, bloody hell, that's harsh. It, that is. It's absolutely. Brutal. But you know what? But if anything, apart from the the Jets, because they were the first AFL teams, that was a big deal. When you look through the Super Bowl champions, and you go, "Fuck, did they win a Super Bowl?" Because you see these one-off teams, yeah. Yeah. and he's right. You just think, like, oh, I, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Because you've got to keep doing it. I mean, the, the, it, it's hard to get to the top of the mountain, but the hardest thing is to stay there. Yeah. Imagine being one of those fans, mate. And we, we go back to it. Imagine putting your hard hat on and your, and your Steelers jersey and your, and your hoodie and just going to Three River Stadium back in the 70s to watch the football with him. It must have been... I mean, what a great time to be a Pittsburgh Steelers football fan. Yeah, incredible. You know, and they, they are they are a real product of, of that town. Like I said, like I mentioned right off the top. If you get a chance to go to Pittsburgh, go to Pittsburgh. I absolutely love it over there. Because I all the things that I love, you know, on like that real honesty, that sort of tough, blue collar, honest, sports loving 
yeah, it's just a, just a nice place to be, isn't it? I'm sure I've touched on it before, but um, I got to meet Steve Ball, my war, like my hero from Wolverhampton Wanderers, and uh, yeah. he, he's a local bloke, you know, who um, you know was doing a couple of jobs when he was also playing Sunday League football, signed for West Brom, signed for Wolves. I, I, I was lucky enough to get to interview him, and he said, I, sa- "I said to him, what do you think? What do you think was the key? Why do you think you had such a great connection with the supporters of Wolverhampton Wanderers? Because we all feel like we know you." And he said, well, I'd be in the dressing room and I'd think to myself, everyone out there, they're all normal people who work really hard during the week, do their job so they can be here and enjoy themselves. And he said, I'm here doing my job. I'm just looking at you. I'm not a star. I'm just like you lot. I'm working hard and people respect people who work hard and do their job. And he would go out there and do their job. And, and you know, that that's what's brilliant about that. this Pittsburgh team is... They are out there doing their job, grafting, working hard, and the stadium is full of people who graft and work hard and do their job. And so they appreciate seeing that happen in front of them. Banasek was talking, and he's not a name that a lot of people might have, might have heard of because because he wasn't he wasn't like a luminary like a lot of those players. But he was a typical stealer of that time that came in, um, sort of worked his way into the starting lineup after sort of three years. And he said it, both my grandparents were steel workers. My dad worked in a factory his whole life, all from Cleveland. Also, another place that's very similar to, to Pittsburgh. You know, that was like he said, that was my, that was my job. See, and and, and where, why he had such a big following, even though he wasn't a, a huge name outside of Pittsburgh, was people really identified with this. this uh, and he, work. He, he looked and sounded like a blue collar steel worker, didn't he? And that didn't he look like, great though? Yeah, amazing, absolutely amazing. Oh man, he looks. He looked like, and this is I couldn't give anyone a higher compliment than this. He looked like a young Howie Long because Howie Long looked amazing when he said when he first went to the Raiders, and that's what Banasak looked like. I was looking at. Them, I was looking at like Joe Green. You see some of these these America's games, and they'll show these players forty years on. <laughs> yeah. And you think, I can't believe he was a football player, right? Yeah. You look at all of these and think, you definitely were a football yeah, yeah, player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I still wouldn't, I wouldn't challenge a, a, a parking space with you. Oh, uh, you know, like, man. Give it right up. John Banasak can park wherever he looks. <laughs> it's worth mentioning Franco Harris, and maybe, maybe we'll, we'll do this to round yeah. it off. I mean, Franco Harris was, uh, he, again, an incredible, incredibly look, a good-looking guy, you know, cool-looking mm. guy, but hell of a running back, uh, and you know, made a huge difference when he arrived for the Steelers. Obviously, they were a team who hadn't won anything, and Franco arriving was part of that change. Well, Joe Green says we didn't win a Super Bowl before Franco, and we didn't win a Super Bowl after Franco. What set everything up you know, on the offense was was Franco. You know how physical the game was back then, and yet. He just runs through defenders. It's just like, oh, yeah. it's incredible to see. He well, he had Rocky Blyer, and Rocky Blyer was this sort of. A, I think he had a Purple Heart. He'd been to Vietnam. He was a he was a veteran. He was he was sort of the fullback. And then you had, uh, in, and then running behind that was Franco Har- Franco Harris. Man, yeah. what a player! Incredible to watch. Incredible to watch. I love watching runners balance when they're running, and and the great runners. What sets them apart is for me is balance. Yeah. And he just looks like a tremendously balanced player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I could watch. and also he's got a really good beard, mate. There's no like <laughs> under, under, under his lips. Under his lips, there are no gaps whatsoever. <laughs> the hair goes right the way to the lip line, it's right the tight, way across. It's a tight beard. <laughs> a solid beard. And that's not having to go with you. That one having to go with you then. It sounds like it sounds like being personal. I've got a very loose beard, and I, I, I know it. Don't worry. <laughs> I thought 
a nice way to round things off would be where we started talking about Franco Harris and the immaculate reception because one of the things mm. one of the things I mean like we, we I'm sure we, I, I wouldn't mind doing an episode on it if we if we do a series two the top five kind of all-time plays you know like we talk about the catch and like the catch. plays the that drive have, yeah exactly plays that have their own name and their own kind of mythology around them and uh, without yeah. doubt for me the best named play in the history of the nfl is the immaculate reception and as always it's, well, you know it's not a reception it's not a play that won a super bowl or anything like that but no. um, an extraordinary play i just thought we could talk through it basically and talk through the immaculate reception yes the thing about the immaculate reception is if you if you watch it on America's Game or any of the clips, you'll see the the pass. Then you sort of don't see the ball, and then there's a flip of camera angle, and you see Franco Harris running with the ball. So I think the camera missed what actually happened. So of all the cameras that were there, they all missed it. So Bradshaw throws a pass. Yeah, it comes off somebody. It's an incomplete <laughs> pass. Rebounds, and then Harris catches it. He's already running at pretty much full pelt catches the ball in full stride and he's off to the races so but they weren't sure if it if it had touched the floor wasn't sure if it was if it was a, an incomplete pass if it you know so it's it's still but, it's still controversial to this day. yeah because no because the actual footage of where that ball went doesn't exist who it bounced off i think is kind of would would change the play as well last chance for the steelers bradshaw trying to get away and his pass is broken up by Tatum. Tipped off. Franco Harris has it. And he's over. Franco Harris. Had the ball on a deflection. Five seconds to go. He grabbed it with five seconds to go and scored. Ricochet out there off of Jack Tatum and into the man of the year, Franco Harris's hands. When you talk about Christmas miracles, here's the miracle of all miracles. Watch this one now. is lucky to even get rid of the ball. He shoots it out. Jack Tatum deflects it right into the hands of Harris. And he sets off, and the big 230-pound rookie slipped away from Warren and scored. The bottom line is... He caught it and it stood and, and that's the way that it is. So. And it's great. And actually, I think, you know, increasingly with this kind of let's pause the game, let's see exactly what happened. You need controversial calls like the Immaculate People Reception. People talking about that 45 years later. Whenever a Raiders fan and a Steelers fan get together in a pub and have a beer, it, they'll end up talking about the Immaculate Reception. Yeah. It's like, that's the beauty of that. Of those kind of, you Do you know. know what as well? And it's, it links to this. Something that I love about that Steelers team. A lot of nicknames are, are like made up by people and they're forced, you know, or they're, they're like some prick who gives himself a nickname in the pub. Where the nickname's there, the Steel Curtain, it's not the Purple People Eaters, which is a terrible name, yeah, right? yeah. it's the Steel Curtain. It just sounds great. It sounds exactly it's, like it's, what it is. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And the Immaculate Reception was coined almost immediately after that catch. And I thought, my God, that's a, that's a hell of a name for, for a play that. Yeah. It? It's, it's just a great name. When you don't win, you're dumb. You don't know enough to get in out of the rain. Uh, but when you win, you're smart. And I was the only dumb person left in our league. And I'm glad that we won, so at least they they can't say, well, he never won. And that's one thing that uh, maybe it's selfishness on my part, but it is the one thing that uh, I get that stigma off me. Art Rooney 
was one of the original sort of owners. You know, he, he was like an original. I think they call them heritage owners in the NFL. So people who bought in the NFL in the very early days, you know, when they, it was hundreds and thousands of dollars, not millions and billions of dollars, and just left it to his family. So, you know, he was, um, Art Rooney was this uh, much-loved coach. Like, the players loved Art Rooney. because He loved football and he loved the players. And he always been at that sort of grassroots level. But there's that... <laughs> Whenever I see Art Rooney, and this is not meant to offend Steelers fans in any shape, size, or form, I always think of a fellow called Joe Gladwin, Joseph Gladwin, who was the English actor on Last of the Summer Wine, who was also in the Hovis adverts in the 1970s. He looks just like the bloke of Last of the Summer Wine. Like, he doesn't look anything like... When you see, like, I, when I think of an, an NFL owner, I think of a Jerry Jones. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Slick hair, great suit, the, the, the cowboy's pin, look in the business. Art Rooney's class. They get Art Rooney up on a, on a chair like in the changing room. Yeah. He just looks like the bloke who makes the tea. Yeah. I love him. I, it's, it's kind of, I think that might be the double act that made the Steelers work as well. When you talk about the players having an inscrutable coach like Chuck Knoll, they also had mm. Art Rooney who had a very personal relationship with all of those yeah. players and they loved him and, and you know when Terry Bradshaw gets brought into the Hall of Fame you know he mentions Chuck Noll as a coach but he says I love Art Rooney and, and like I think yeah. that might have been the double act and again you know we come back to Belichick and Kraft uh, the Patriots shot, you know yeah. it's kind of That's like true. a similar comparison really the person who coined the immaculate reception and also came up with a terrible towel is Myron Cope the Pittsburgh kind of sportscaster oh. who kind of does, him, does the commentary an absolute character and well like such a distinctive voice you know the voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> of that time <laughs> kind of invented the terrible towel uh, to try and sell his I uh, didn't know that. radio show it was kind of like a gimmick that kind of was uh, was brought up to sell his radio I show I find that on loads today Tom. Uh, yeah, so I, I feel like, I feel I feel like the cross-legged rookie looking up even wondering. Oh. <laughs> there you go, the tables have turned. So, uh, so it's worth checking out the voice of Myron Cope as well because it grates on you, but it's also uh, it's yeah. the voice of an era, really. Uh, and what an era, the, oh, the great amazing. Pittsburgh Steelers. That is episode XI in the can. Uh, next week, we're looking at episode XII, our pod bowl, the final, yeah. the culmination. Pod. The culmination of the first season. Um, pod bowl I what's like it going to be about like it. what's it going to be about get in touch listeners and let us know at any given wed pod on twitter correct, correct. Uh, so get in touch let us know what you want it to be about close the season in style Bradshaw the quarterback who lost his job he reported to the summer camp with a sore arm Joe Gillum the uh, young quarterback got hot in preseason had an incredible uh, passing performances in preseason and started the uh, season as the first-team quarterback. And then the Steelers' offense was sputtering. Their defense remained consistent, great all year. And finally, Bradshaw was inserted back in. We'll be back to New Orleans for more of a review of Super Bowl IX right after this message.